Hi friends, thank you for tuning in to the Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm Bethany Lewis, the Concussion Coach. I'm a neurological occupational therapist and certified life coach, and I specialize in guiding people through their concussion recovery journey. I am passionate about helping people understand their injury, speed up their recovery, and reclaim control over their life post-concussion. The purpose of this podcast is to help increase awareness of concussions and the impact they can have on a person's life, and to bring hope to people who have suffered a concussion and those who love them. I firmly believe that sharing stories and knowledge about concussions will bring important light and understanding to this misunderstood and often invisible injury. The information in this podcast is meant to bring that awareness and hope and is not meant as medical advice. The opinions shared are those of the interviewees and my own. If you are suffering with lingering concussion symptoms, I have created a concussion coaching program specifically for you. I will be your mentor to guide you through your recovery journey, offering help with understanding and managing your symptoms, setting achievable goals, and learning how to manage your own thoughts and nervous system in order to get control over your life again. If this program sounds like something that would help you or someone you love, sign up for a free consultation. In the consultation, you'll get valuable information and resources and gain hope for your future. Sign up for your free consultation at the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you to Dr. Alina Fong. Dr. Fong is one of the co-founders of Cognitive Ethics and has helped thousands of people suffering from concussions over the years. Dr. Fong earned her PhD in clinical neuropsychology with an emphasis in neuroimaging from Brigham Young University in April of 2008. During her academic career under the mentorship of Dr. Erin Bigler and Dr. Mark Allen, she received the National American Psychological Association Clinical Neuropsychology Division 40 Graduate Student Research Award in 2004 for her research on cortical sources of the N400 and the N400 effect. Cognitive Effects opened the doors in August of 2014 with Dr. Fong as its clinical director and co-owner. Her expertise in the area of concussion care has led to the creation of Enhanced Performance in Cognition, or EPIC treatment, which integrates fMRI, functional MRI into the latest MTBI, which is mild traumatic brain injury treatment. <laughs> EPIC treatment represents the most comprehensive concussion care and brain rehabilitation available and vastly improves the diagnosis, treatment, and long-term planning of MTBI. Under Dr. Fong's direction, CFX has treated thousands of concussion and other brain injury patients, including professional athletes from the NFL, NHL, and the Olympics. Dr. Fong is the vice president and president-elect for the Brain Injury Alliance of Utah, a board member of the United States Brain Injury Alliance, an advisory board member for Pink Concussions, and the director of concussion services at TB12 Sports Therapy Center, which I believe is Tom Brady's concussion clinic in Boston. Is that right? That's right. Awesome. So thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Fong. I'm excited for people to learn from your expertise today. This is fantastic. So I wanted to focus today's interview on one of the hopefully a couple of the very common and major concerns that patients have when they have a concussion, nuts, headaches, and sleep problems. So prior to working at Cognitive Effects, I had no idea that there were so many different kinds of headaches. And I just figured people's heads hurt. And sometimes it was in different areas and to different degrees of intensity. But I didn't realize that they had different names and that there were so many different causes that could be making these things happen for people. So CFX put together a course on headaches that can help people struggling with this kind of pain, which is how I learned a whole lot of what is what I know about headaches at this point. And um, it's available for purchase. Is that right? Yes, it is. Thank you, Bethany. We created this a couple of years ago. It's a pretty big program. There's like 22 different modules. And we wanted to really target the most commonly reported headaches and headache issues that our patients have. And it's quite affordable. It's $99 uh, for 22 modules that cover pretty much the range of headaches that you're going to be seeing with these types of injuries. 
Yes. Thank you so much. So I just want to make sure that everybody knew that at the beginning, like this is a thing it's available. It's really, really helpful. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes, but let's jump in and chat about this for a little bit here. So I was hoping today that you could give our listeners an overview of the types of headaches that there are and what causes them and what people can do about them. And so to start, could you just share with us how frequently headaches are brought up as a concern of patients that come through the clinic? Before I start, I just want to say thank you so much for even having me on, Bethany. I know this is something we've talked about for a while, and I'm just so glad that I finally have the opportunity to be on here. So thank Thank you. you. Thanks so much. Oh my gosh, headaches. Headaches are probably one of the cardinal symptoms that I see with these concussions. In fact, just today, I spoke with six potential new patients that have contacted me from around the world right? And not one of them, not one of them did not have headaches as a problem. Um, The interesting thing though, is that of these patients that I just saw today, none of them complained of the headaches in the same way or in the same place or with the same triggers. So as common as headaches are, they're not alike in many ways. And so they can be vastly different, which can make it really, really hard for a clinician to diagnose, to understand, to treat. Yes. Yes. Such a good point because someone comes in and they say you have a headache and we think that we know what that means, but it could mean so many different things. So thank you for Mm -hmm. bringing that up. So how many types of headaches are there? Well, we've categorized about six different types of headaches that we tend to see in the clinic, but I'm sure as research progresses and as we learn more and more, there may be even more headaches. And the thing that is really frustrating uh, for my patients uh, and what we've discovered is that you don't just have one. Sometimes you can have a combination of headaches. And so when you do, when you take six different types of headaches and all the different types of combinations you could have, I mean, it feels almost limitless or endless as to, you know, what we could be dealing with at any given time. Yes, so true. So what are the most common ones that you see coming through the clinic? Okay, so the six most common that we see are what we call hypertensive headaches or headaches due to some changes in blood pressure. We see ocular headaches or ocular migraines, so to speak, that are more, more focused with uh, behind the eyes. And we can go into more detail with this. I'm just kind of giving an overview. Yeah. Um, migraines, general migraines that we see. Uh, the next ones could be sinus-related headaches. And then headaches associated with the autonomic nervous system or autonomic headaches or ANS headaches. And then the last one is these cluster headaches that patients can experience uh, as well, or cluster headaches or cluster migraines. Okay. Yes. I would love for you to explain a little bit more about (laughs) what each of those are, if that's okay. I think people, as they're listening, are going to be like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. (laughs) So yeah. Let's go through. Do you want to just start from the the hypertensive one that you started before? Yeah, actually, what I, I'll start with the autonomic nervous system one, just because that one sense, tends to be really common for our patients. Okay, so oh, and you know, I, I left out another one, which is cervicogenic, and so that means that there's headaches that stem from neck issues or kind of whiplash issues that a lot of our patients can can experience. So. The biggest ones that we see are cervicogenic and these autonomic nervous system headaches, okay? So like I said before, the cervicogenic headaches can tend to kind of maybe even radiate up from the neck and even kind of come come up around. But patients notice that that might happen if they slept 
strangely, or, you know, they have neck pain as well. So usually if there's tightness in the neck or any neck pain, that could be causing some of these cervicogenic or generating from the cervical spine uh, headaches. Okay. So a lot of our patients, in fact, most of our patients who have had a concussion usually have an issue with their neck because very rarely can you have, you know, a concussion that, you know, is is kind of a force, blunt force or, or shaking that can happen to the brain that also doesn't affect our little tiny necks. Our necks are really small and our heads are like big bowling balls. And so there's almost always that issue. So that's probably one of the most common ones that we see. Okay. Mm. The next common ones that we see are what we call autonomic nervous system headaches. Maybe just some information about your autonomic nervous system, right? So your autonomic nervous system is part of your central nervous system, but it has two branches. It has the sympathetic and the parasympathetic branch. The sympathetic branch is responsible for kind of your your fight or flight, your survival. Uh, It increases your heart rate, your body temperature. Breathing can become quick and shallow, um, you know, blood pressure goes up and so on. And, and really what, what your nervous system, this sympathetic nervous system is gearing you up for is survival. It's, it's gearing you up to, to run away from that bear or to, to, to fight the tiger <laughs> that, that's, that's coming at you. You know, it's kind of really primitive. Now the parasympathetic nervous system is the whew, deep breath, the rest the digest. It's the side that balances out that that fight or flight that says, hey, we're cool. It's not a bear. You're just exercising. You know, that's why your heart rate's going up. You're fine. Okay. But often our patients are in the sympathetic overload where the parasympathetic does not calm that system down and you are just exhausted and feeling kind of panicky. Uh, and, and you are tired because you're, you can't be buzzing at this high alert level without having to crash as well. So a lot of times there's these roller coaster like symptoms where patients are gearing up, they're high, 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 and then they have to crash for a while because their body can't take that. Now, these types of headaches are kind of interesting. These type of headaches actually kind of form or can kind of start in the back of the head and form a band around your head. Okay. And when you hear patients like it's like a vice and it's like a band that's just like tightening and tightening, that's the clue that that has more of a, what we call it, like a, an autonomic nervous system type of, of a headache. So those are kind of the, the, the more common ones. Now we have other headaches, like I mentioned before, that we look at. Let's talk about ocular headaches. Because that's another one that I know, Bethany, you've dealt with a lot with your patients and we see a lot as well. So these ocular headaches, um, when you think of ocular, we think of the eyes, okay? And these tend to happen because we have vision issues. So we are seeing a lot of patients that, that where their eyes just don't work the same. Patients will say, my eyes get blurry. I can't really control that. Or when I look at a screen, I get dizzy I can, and that can bring on the headache. So for ocular headaches, they tend to be behind the eye. Okay. And one of the things that, that we typically say for these patients is to do an exercise called palming, where you take the palms of your hands and you kind of just put some light pressure on your eyes, just like this, and hold it there for a while. And that can help relieve some of the, of those symptoms. When we have patients in clinic, we tend to trigger some of these symptoms, right? Because we're trying to get the brain to, to work and to fire. And sometimes that, that your brain can say, Hey, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. I was resting for so long. Now you want me to change and now you want me to work. 
And we say, yes, we do. But that doesn't mean that symptoms don't start, right? And so you might see patients around the clinic, right, Bethany, walking around doing the palming method because that's something that we teach them. But it's a, a nice kind of quick and easy way to get the brain to kind of dissimulate, to, to distract, you know, it, it, it can, in a sense, distract our brain uh, from that pain uh, and relieve that uh, somewhat. Yeah. Can I ask you a um, Sorry. Yeah, of with, course. Of course. With the ocular headaches, is that the light sensitivity? Is that related to the, yeah. the ocular headaches? Can that be associated? Ab- absolutely. So what can bring on these ocular headaches or these ocular migraines could be too much overexposure, overstimulation to light. It could be um, screen time. It could be something like driving in a car and having too many things come at you and your brain's like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't take this, which is problematic when you're driving in a car, right? Because that's when you need to be really alert. Yes, um, it can happen a lot. Well, yeah, it can happen a lot in a grocery store. Uh, patients will complain that the fluorescent lights are bothering them. There's too much to look at. And then when you combine that also with noise sensitivity, right? So similarly, where your eyes can be overstimulated, your auditory senses can be really, really sensitive, right? And really, really over easily overstimulated with a lot of noise, uh, which is hard, right, Bethany? I know you and I have, have kids, you definitely have more than I do. But even just having patients go home to their kids, this can be such a life changing um, injury, because they can't enjoy their family like they used to as well, because of all the overstimulation. Yeah, it can be so much. And I think even just reading, even if it's not on a screen, reading a book can cause those ocular migraines as well too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Sorry. And actually, um, can you ask me one more other really quick question about the, the ANS headaches before we go on to the next slide. <laughs> Do you know why it is that it, why those come from the back and kind of go around in a band around the head? Is there, do you know the reason or the physiology behind that? You know, um, it's really interesting about the physiology of it. What we find is that the autonomic nervous system. So one of the questions I get asked is like that. So why, why, why is that? Well, it's because in a way that the way that the, 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 that our brain responds to this, the pressure in our head that can build up with ANS can almost feel like a balloon that's expanding. Mm. Okay, just just the way that that our body's responding to this. But what's interesting is for most patients, it doesn't feel like a balloon that's that's expanding all at the same time. It almost feels like there is some localization to that. You know, the exact the exact physiology kind of goes down to how the blood flows in the brain with ANS, and that can lead to this this feeling of overall pressure. But because the, the reason it's band-like is because most of the time patients don't don't express this in a way where it's pressure all over all at once. For some reason, it just and it doesn't necessarily have to start in the back and form a band. It could form a band and then kind of start in the back. But it's you know physiologically, it has to do with vascularization, how blood flows. But more so, it it's it feels more like. Um, a vice because pressure is building and building and building in the brain, but it seems like this this forehead band kind of takes more of the pressure. Okay. So that that's kind of the best explanation that we've had with research and with patients explaining that to us. I guess that makes sense because so much of the issues with autonomic nervous system stuff does have to do with that blood flow. And is that similar then to the hypertension headaches? So 
Interesting with hypertension. Let's talk about that. So pure hypertension headaches actually start with that blood flow that that comes up, you know, kind of through through your neck and kind of up through the brain this way, but it ends up staying in the back here. With the autonomic nervous system headaches, that's where it starts to kind of feel like all over pressure and can kind of move forward to the eyes. Mm. All right. So that's kind of where that band kind of comes from with the ANS. With hypertensive headaches, they typically pound, but they stay in the back. And sometimes kind of back and kind of lower in the back here. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, that's that's where hypertensive headaches come from. Uh, Interestingly, I I have, I can count on one hand how many times in my life I've had really significant hypertensive headaches. And sometimes it can feel worse when you're lying down. The way you're positioned, you could feel that boom, 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 boom. And it just kind of, you can almost hear it. You know, it's so loud, but those can be typical of the hypertensive, but they don't typically move around to the eyes. The ANS ones are the ones that kind of move around to the eyes, or they can feel like it starts in the eyes and they move around to the back, but ANS headaches tend to move. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What other, what other headaches should we talk about? <laughs> so we talked about the, okay, let's talk about, um, I guess maybe some of the migraines headaches, Right. Now, the thing about migraines um, that's interesting is we have a lot of people that are maybe diagnosed with migraines headaches, but they aren't true migraines. And the way we know that is because a lot of them have been tried on a ton of migraine medication and they don't work. Mm. <laughs> They're still pretty symptomatic, right? And so when I ever, whenever I see kind of that, that, that migraine diagnosis on there, I'm always kind of thinking, is it truly migraine or is it some of these post-traumatic headaches? Because the term migraine really just, I think, has been thrown around to describe a really extreme headache, right? However, if you notice an aura, right, right before a headache, or, you know, if you're seeing black and white spots, okay, if you also, if you notice maybe um, changes in your senses, some people will notice, I smell something strange, or um, I'm, I, 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 like, sense, I can sense something strange happening to me before the migraine hits, then that's probably more migraineous in nature. That's probably a true migraine. Hmm. Yeah. Truly the exact cause of migraines is still kind, is still unknown, but patients that do respond to the different types of migraine medications out there and they respond positively, that's a good way for us to indicate, yeah, that actually is a true migraine. But most of the migraines that we see are more post-traumatic headaches and not true migraines. Okay. So, and what is, what's the difference between a post-traumatic headache versus some of these other ones that we've already talked about? Or is that, is that a separate category? Well, post-traumatic headaches are kind of encapsulate all, all of these categories. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can have a migraine, right? But it seems like all of the other headaches that, that we've talked about. So for example, the, some of the cluster headaches, the ANS headaches, some of the hypertension headaches, the ocular headaches, those can actually be triggered by your concussion. The hypertension one, interestingly, yes, because there are patients we have that have had no issues with blood pressure before. And then now they have their, you know, their, uh, their concussion. And because the autonomic nervous system can change blood pressure, then they can start getting these weird hypertensive headaches that they've never really had before. Mm, yep. Okay. Let's talk about, I have, I have them written down here. So sinus headaches is one is another one. The sinus headaches are just what you'd expect, you know, kind of pain that emanates from your sinus cavities here. It feels like pressure. A lot of us have had this when we were sick, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So mostly for, the face, like by the nose, or is it also yep. in the forehead area? Like this, it can kind of go out like a star, like boom, boom. Okay. Like, so that. like the center of your nose up and out and then down and out. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about, about these types of headaches is that we've all probably had them before. Any of us who've ever had like a cold or a sinus infection, we've probably felt that before. But for some of our patients, we they, they can feel that that sinus pressure in there. And when we do our MRI scans, Bethany, I can't tell you how many times we've noticed, hey, you have sinusitis, you have some swelling in your sinuses, or you have a sinus infection going on, and you probably didn't know, you know, and that's, that's contributing to this, but any additional pressure or fluid in these little cavities can just exacerbate some of these other issues. Okay. So those aren't necessarily post-traumatic. It's just something that can make everything worse (laughs) when you have like a cold. Got it. Yes, exactly. You know, with that being said, we have had patients that, that say, you know, I'm, I've never had sinus infections, but after my concussion, things shifted around and, you know, I'm more prone to, to sinus infections now than, than I used to be. Even things like if you kind of have a cold and you fly in an airplane and your sinus cavities open up, bacteria can get in there and you can then get a sinus infection. So things can change, pressure can change and can make it easier for bacteria to grow. <laughs> Super interesting. Oh man. Yeah. Crazy how much so many different things can be impacted by a concussion that people would never even think about that I never yeah. thought about. It's so interesting. Yeah. So go ahead. I, I can talk a bit more too about other symptoms that can also lead to headaches. Uh, you know, we we've talked about even TMJ, right? So if you have patients that have TMJ and they're clenching their their teeth, or that can also cause headache like symptoms or can cause a headache, but you know, uh, but that could result from TMJ even. Interesting. Is that so the headaches that happen that are like on the side of your head, like above, like going straight out from your eyes on either side, the temporal, temporal mm-hmm. headaches there, is that, are those just pressure? Like what's happening with those ones? That could absolutely be more TMJ because the pressure here can build up and kind of work, work their way up as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So another thing that, that we can talk about, I don't know what your next question is, but I can talk about potential like other environmental factors that after a concussion that can also contribute to headaches too. Yeah. I would love to do that. But first, can you tell us um, about the cluster headache? I'm curious oh. about those. I think we didn't get to those, but I've heard that term and I'm not super familiar with it. So I'd love for you to explain sure. that to me. <laughs> yeah. So interesting thing about cluster headaches, cluster headaches are headaches that really just kind of like cluster in one particular area. And what's interesting about this is patients that have had like specific injury to a certain part of their head, okay, might notice headaches localized in that area where they received the the, the brunt of their injury. Additionally, we have patients that will say, gosh, you know, right here where I got struck, my skin is more sensitive. It tingles more. I can't brush my hair there. And so that's kind of where those cluster headaches can also come from is that it seems to be linked more towards the localized area where they were injured. Okay. So a cluster headache is more, more just like it hurts in one spot on the head. Does it go down like deep into the brain or is it more surface level? It depends on, on where where patients experience it, it can be surface level. It can feel a little deeper. Usually it's more surface level because if it's really that deep, it's, I think it's harder to explain where that is, but usually they might say, oh, it's like an inch down from here, you know, uh, what patients can can typically say. But the thing about cluster headaches is that they don't move. 
Okay. They don't move around. They so stay like, in that's here this whole time. And do they, would they sometimes have a, a headache in a different spot? Like they'll have a cluster headache and they'll have it in one spot. And then if they were to get another headache, would it be possible to have the same, like a cluster headache just gathered in a different spot on the head? Or is it usually consistent with the same place that it's been hurting? Usually consistent with the same place it's been hurting. But remember how I said that this gets further complicated because people can have more than one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. They might have a cluster headache, but then they're out running and trying to get some exercise and then their, their dysautonomia kicks in. And then all of a sudden, on top of that, they might have uh, a headache that, that is moving too. Ah, yes. Okay. This sounds like a good, a good segue into the other environmental factors that can influence this. That's, I'd love for you to go into that. Yeah. So other environmental factors, you know, um, a lot of these might seem intuitive, but you'd be surprised how many of my patients are like, oh, really? That can affect things? I said, yeah. So first of all, I know we're going to talk about this, but the first thing is sleep. If you're not getting good sleep or if you're sleeping incorrectly, okay, that can really trigger some things. In fact, personally, I myself have had significant whiplash and I have two herniated discs in my neck. And if I don't sleep with the right pillow or, you know, if I sleep wrong, I have a headache all day the next day. Okay. So how you're sleeping, your sleep hygiene. Also, have you heard of sleep hygiene, Bethany? I have, but I don't know if all of our, our listeners have. So please go for it. <laughs> Tell us what it is. So, so sleep hygiene is kind of what it sounds like is how to have clean sleep, right? How to protect your sleep. And so there are a lot of different articles. If you just look up sleep, if you just Google sleep hygiene, right? There's all these different ways to kind of protect your sleep and make sure that that your bedroom is a haven, right? And all these tips and tricks on how to make your brain, because it really is about making your brain trigger for sleep. And there are certain things that you can do to help your brain know that it's ready for sleep. And a lot of this has to do with maybe even preparing an hour before bedtime and doing certain things in a certain order. So your brain and your body realize, oh, there's a pattern to this. It's like we do with our babies, right, Bethany? I kind of had a routine. I would bathe them and then, you know, um, we brush their teeth and then we read them a book. And by then, oh, yes, we know it's bedtime now. Our bodies need the same things. And our brain has a sleep rhythm that can often get disrupted with brain injury. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. I'm sure we're going to talk about that more later. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that for sure. But sleep can be helpful in making sure your positioning is beneficial and not problematic for the, that will help with reducing headaches. Awesome. What yeah. other environmental things? Okay. Mismanaged stress levels. <laughs> if you're not managing your stress very well, you are going to be much more prone to to headaches, you know, increased cortisol, a whole host of other symptoms, but those can absolutely affect your headaches. And workplace and school environments, if you're sitting at a desk all the time and you're typing all the time and your shoulders, right, are coming up like this, you're going to you're going to get tension in your shoulders and your neck and that can also cause some some headaches. Your regular eating patterns. If you are going hypoglycemic, if you're getting if you're eating too much all at once, I mean just kind of not eating regularly and consistently throughout the day can also lead to headaches, right? People don't think about that. Can I ask about that? Is, do, yeah. do those, the headaches that stem from not eating consistently or, or lack of water, I assume that's also one that yeah, can- that's on here. Yep. That's the next okay. one. Do those, are those a different type of headache than what we've already mentioned? Or do they yeah. contribute to more, you're more likely to have one of these other ones? 
Yes, you can definitely have different types of headaches from dehydration or not enough electrolytes, you know, um, in your system. But those can, once you get the food in you and you can get your electrolytes balanced, those go away pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know? So we that every patient at CFX, Bethany knows this, has a water bottle that they're given, a nice water bottle they're given at the beginning of every week and they're told, Hydrate, 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 right? Because we do, we do not want uh, our patients exacerbating their headaches because of dehydration. So that's a big one. Another one is even poor food choices. You know, at, at CFX, we actually make sure that all of our patients are eating. We bring in uh, meals for them so they don't have to worry about that. And we didn't always do that, Bethany. I don't know if you remember this, but in the beginning, we kind of let patients get their own food until we realized they're just all getting burgers and fries and you know things that maybe aren't the most healthy thing to eat, especially when you're you know in in a boot camp brain program. Uh, so it's really important for you to for, for our patients to to get you know really good protein, some good veggies, um, some long lasting energy, um, so they can uh, sustain themselves. Couple more is um, lack of exercise. If they're not exercising, if they're not um, exerting, if they're not getting their heart rate pumping, and then of course um, allergies. Interestingly enough, that that's always the one we're like, "What allergies?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you might not even be aware that the allergies are causing a buildup of of antihistamines, right? And and you're just you're you are." Uh, your your body's just responding in a way to to something foreign, and your your allergies are just your body going. I don't like that. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. But even that can actually cause some headaches as well. So there's there's a lot uh, of factors, both concussion physically as well as environmentally. Yes, and I love that you brought all of those up because they they all do contribute. And so if yeah, people who had a concussion are hearing this and being like, okay, these are this is what I'm dealing with a lot. Oh, some of these other environmental factors can influence as well. So that's really, really helpful. Thank you. And I'd love for you to share, you shared the the eye palming where you put your palms over your eyes and that's a really good way to de-stimulate and help calm the system down so the headaches can go away. What other treatments or remedies have you guys found to be most effective to help with these and are medications sufficient or even recommended? <laughs> so let's, um, let's touch on both of those. Oh gosh. Okay. Let me target the the medications first. Okay. At our clinic, we don't prescribe any medications because usually by the time patients come to us, they've been months, years out of their injury and they've been tried on everything. They just feel like guinea pigs, you know, and, and truthfully that that's kind of the way that, that, that medicine works is, well, you have a symptom. Let's try this med. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this med, right? We've all been there. Okay. And that that's really not our philosophy. So by the time they get to us, we really try to, to stay away from some of the meds. Now, with that being said, of course, there are some times when headaches are just so intractable that you need something to really kind of take the edge off so you can sleep. And we get that, right? But usually the patients that come to us did not respond to those meds and they're looking for something else. So some of the things that, that we do, of course, that, that palming method is, is, is really quick and really easy. But some of the things that, that we recommend to our patients is some sort of mindfulness or meditation. Okay. That can, uh, since a lot of the headaches that, that, that we see might be autonomic nervous system related, right? Or stress related. Getting our body to calm down to try to force it out of that sympathetic override, right? That fight or flight mode is really helpful. There's uh, different types of breathing 
um, that we'd use. Um, something that we can do is even called boxed breathing, where you think of like a, a box, right? And you start at the bottom of the box and, and you inhale. So you go up, you inhale for a few seconds. I mean, if you can do it for five seconds, that's great. So inhale for five seconds, hold it for five seconds, exhale for five seconds, and then hold it again for five seconds and do it again. So that just kind of, if you do that enough, you know, maybe three or four or five repetitions, your body is actually forced, forcing itself to hold on to, uh, to, 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 to some of these, um, to, to some of the carbon dioxide and just kind of slow your breathing down at, rather than kind of shallow breathing. Cause if you're shallow breathing, right, that's a trigger for your autonomic nervous system. If you're breathing diaphragmatically, that's a trigger for your parasympathetic nervous system. So that that's a good one is some box breathing. And, and again, you do do those sets a few times until you can start to feel your body kind of re- release. Meditation is a great one. Um, mindfulness uh, is another aspect um, of, of relaxation that people can tap into. And we have a lot of this on our website too. But one of the other ones that, that I like is with these headaches that might be more neck related, there are certain stretching exercises, right? And I know as an OT, you 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 can employ these as well. But there are certain exercises that you can do that will help your neck improve mobility, but also calm it and release it. There are certain pressure points. Um, and I don't know if I know that your reader, your listeners can't see, but there's a spot in between your thumb and your a pointer finger kind of deep, deep kind of in the meteor part of your hand, that's a, a trigger a trigger point and a pressure point. Uh, if you're having a headache, you can kind of hold on to that meaty part and just put pressure on there for a while, uh, you know, a few seconds, 30 seconds or so, and release. And that can also help release some of these headaches. But my best suggestion is to um, look online and look at these 22 modules that we have for every single different type of headache. Yes. Yes, I'll put a plug in for that as well. They go, there's a lot, they do a lot of really specific and really good, helpful information for each, for each kind of headache as well, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember one of the ones on that was different colored glasses. The, I guess the the frequency of the light that is coming into your eyes can be helpful or I don't even understand how it works. But it's so cool. Yeah, there are these glasses that, that I have that are they look kind of yellow and and when, every time I wear it I'm like oh my gosh it's like I'm looking at everything through sunshine you know I mean it's it it helps block out these these uh these uh, wave these different types of wave uh, light wavelengths that can be really irritating to our eyes you look kind of silly going around with yellow lenses but your eyes and your brain just feel so calm and soothed, you know, um, in a way that's different from even dark glasses, you know? So there's different types of, of glasses like that, that, that will help in the daylight that, and then there's different glasses that will help you if you're, if you're looking at a screen as well, some, some blue light glasses too. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So yeah. So if you want more details, definitely check out the, the headache management guide that they have. And I will put the link in the show notes and, I guess I want to make sure that we do get a chance to touch on sleep if that's okay if we can kind of switch gears to the to the sleep thing. Um this is also something that people always have trouble with and I've found that it's either they have trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep or they sleep way too much and never feel rested. Are there any other sleep concerns that I'm missing or that does that kind of summarize it pretty much? That sums it up pretty well. And, you know, unfortunately for our patients, 
it's not, it's hardly ever just one or the other. Sometimes they're sleeping too much. Sometimes they're sleeping too little and it can go back and forth. Sometimes they have a hard time falling asleep or what we call sleep initiation. And then sometimes they can fall asleep because they're so tired. But then because their fight or flight system is so engaged, even just a small little sound, their brain wakes them up so they can't maintain their sleep at night, you know? And so I've even suggested to patients to wear earplugs, you know, for a little while, just so, you know, your brain's not picking up on everything. Because part of the problem is because of this, this sympathetic override, this fight or flight, it's very hard to fall asleep after your brain's woken up and you think it's, you know, you feel like you're under threat. It's different than other times when you wake up um, because there's sometimes before your concussion, you might wake up and you're like, okay, that was weird. And you can go back to sleep. No, no, no. After a concussion, after COVID, after some of these other brain injuries, when you wake up, it's like a startle response. And then you can't calm yourself back down. Sometimes my patients will say they wake up and their heart's pounding. Mm-hmm. Like, why is my heart pounding? Well, it's because your brain heard something outside and just responded like you're going to die, you know? And so they want you up and ready to fight. It's all about survival. So your brain is doing its job, but at some point your brain doesn't realize that it's actually hurting you versus helping you. It's so sad. It's it's doing such a good job of trying to keep you alive and yeah, <laughs> so misguided. Um, so so what can what can people do? Well, actually, if you is there any one reason, or it sounds like it might be very much just related to the autonomic nervous system, but why is sleep such a challenge for people who've had a head injury? So it, it's not just the autonomic the autonomic nervous system is a big part of it, but part of it too is that you know sleep sleep is based on rhythms. Okay, you've probably heard of circadian rhythms. We talked about this a bit in the beginning. But, you know, our our body kind of has a natural sleep and wake cycle that we can change, though, you know, and so a brain injury can throw throw off that circadian rhythm and that circadian cycle and start slowing off, uh, throwing off our sleep patterns. You know, think about people that have to work graveyard shifts. Okay, it is so hard for them to kind of adjust back to normal life because their brain got adjusted to that type of a shift. And then they have to kind of readjust to, you know, the sunlight shift, right? Which is which is what most of us uh, uh, are, are attuned to. But we can change our rhythms, right? And brain injury can do that. Um, and so that that's part of it is uh, we, we need to kind of retrain our brain to, to wake up at a certain time, to go to sleep at a certain time. So getting into a routine is so essential because what happens with a lot of these patients is they're so overstimulated, then they can't sleep at night, then they don't wake up in the morning, so they sleep until one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and then they just repeat that cycle over and over. Well, guess what? You do that enough and your brain goes, oh, I guess this is the cycle that I need to be in. Part of the reason why at, at CFX, right, Bethany, we start each morning, some patients start at eight o'clock in the morning, some people start at nine. We, we don't accommodate people's schedules to start at one. It's because we're trying to get their brain to wake up and associate waking with the sun and the sunrise and to kind of get back into that rhythm. And so that that is a, that that's a big piece of this. Another piece of this, Bethany, is that a lot of my patients are not getting anywhere near the amount of exercise or physical exertion that they used to have. And so when I have these young athletes, these you know professional athletes or even my student athletes that are used to tons of working out and all this physical exertion and now they're just laying laying on their back and not being able not able to do anything, you wonder why they can't sleep. They're just, they're not getting tired enough to sleep, mm-hmm. you know? And so part of this is just kind of getting back to consistent physical activity, getting the body tired. And that's a cue for sleep as well. 
Yes. And I'm glad that you brought up the physical activity point too, because that's something, again, there are all these like things that just kind of snowball with the physical activity. They they can have a lot of pain with that. That can cause the problems to try to do exercise. And so they're not motivated to do the exercise because it hurts and uh-huh. so that can impact the sleep. So then it impacts everything. It just, it's a big bundle. So understanding that and seeing what's happening is really helpful. For, so if you're listening to this, just be aware and that awareness can help you lead into what what you can do to help it. So, so yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay. And can I just make a plug for, for you? Our neuro-occupational therapists at Cognitive Effects um, actually have a blog um, about five or six ways that you can improve your sleep. And um, I love this blog because this comes straight from the OTs. The first thing on there, right, Bethany, is develop a routine, create a schedule that helps you get ready for bed while also relaxing you. The second one is avoid napping. As tired as you are during the day, napping is going to throw off that night, that nighttime sleep. You do not want to ever sacrifice nighttime sleep for daytime sleep. The, the restoration that happens to your brain and your body at night is not substituted by a power nap. <laughs> you know, so try to avoid that napping exercise, of course, food, make, making sure that you're eating the right foods because certain foods can amp you up. Don't drink caffeine before bed. Maybe don't drink, don't eat anything majorly spicy right before bed because that'll keep you up for other reasons, right? Um, of course, the glasses unlimit. We want you to limit like, uh, I think in the blog, it says unnatural light exposure. So a lot of LED lights, a lot of screen lights that can actually trigger our brain to stay awake and not to fall asleep and not be attuned to kind of the the, the natural sun and moon cycles that our body yeah. needs to, to set the circadian rhythm. And then the last one is the sleep hygiene. Associate your bed with sleep. A lot of times people get in bed and they play games or they watch TV and they do something really exciting. And part of that sleep hygiene is to associate your bed with sleepy time, you know, um, and without something that that's really strenuous. Yes. Yes. So important. Thank you for sharing those things. And I, I'm curious with the, with the sleep, like the napping, I know that one of the concerns that a lot of our patients have is that they, they'll push themselves so hard and then they'll overdo it. And then they, they have to crash, right? Like they, they need to rest. Are there other ways that they can get that rest without sleeping or trying, like maybe like a small, like a 20 minute nap would be okay, but not sleeping for like five, three hours, right? Like what, what would you say to that? Well, one thing I would recommend and something we do in our clinic is something called brainwave entrainment by neural beats. So, um, we suggest this to a lot of our professionals that they're like, I have to work, but I'm so tired. How am I supposed to get through the day? We tell them oftentimes to take 15 minutes in the morning and then 15 minutes in the afternoon and put on your, your, you know, there, these programs where you can just get some headphones and it kind of, it's almost like a neurofeedback, but it's a cheater's neurofeedback to where, you know, you're, you're hearing different frequencies and different waves that can stimulate alpha, beta, theta, gamma, delta waves. And it can put you pretty quickly into a calmer, more relaxed state that can energize you without you actually falling asleep. Mm. Okay. And so that is something that, that we recommend as a, instead of actually falling asleep and having a power nap, because I'll be honest. A lot of my patients that get power naps and get waking up out of that power nap end up feeling groggier because they want to still sleep more and and it doesn't doesn't really help them throughout the day. Okay. That's good to know. Yes. And the brainwaves thing is really, really helpful also for headaches too. So it can be kind of a a double whammy. Yes, you're right. 
Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So awesome. Well, I know that we are running short on time here. Is there anything else that you want people to know about sleep or, or headaches um, that people with concussions should know about? Well, just that you're not alone. And, And honestly, Bethany, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of you saying, gosh, you know, I'm having these symptoms of maybe, maybe it wasn't necessarily concussion, maybe it was COVID. I mean, again, we've treated patients with COVID long hauler, meningitis, encephalitis, chemo brain. These symptoms are not just specific to concussion. These can happen from any sort of brain injury, right, Bethany? And and I know you've seen the, the gamut. So just know that a lot of these tips and tricks are not just for concussions. They can be you. They can be used for any sort of injury that occurred to your brain. Yeah, and the, all those sleep hygiene techniques that you talked about are just good for everybody. Anyway, <laughs> it's a human thing. That's true. So, <laughs> Very true. Excellent. Awesome. Well, and I know so they have the the headache guide that again we're going to link to, and the blog, the CFX blog. I will link to that as well. There's so many really helpful articles and really great quality information. Any other? Oh, I guess if people are interested in learning more about CFX and what you guys offer, how could they, how can they do that? Go to our website, please. Um, We actually do complimentary consultations. So if you're not sure if you're a good fit or if you're not sure, you know, what we can offer you, I strongly recommend do your research, look on the website. If you would like to, to follow up with more uh, and you are interested to see if you are a good fit, sign up for complimentary consultation and, uh, you know, we, we can, we can walk you through that. And the website is cognitive FX USA. And that's like the letter F and the letter X cognitive FX USA.com. Cognitive FX USA.com. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your expertise and knowledge. I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. And I really, really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Dr. My Fong. pleasure, Bethany. It was such a, it was such fun. Thank you. I'm so glad you listened in today. I hope you have gained some helpful insights and inspiration regarding dealing with and recovering from concussions. My goal is to create more awareness and education about concussions and the fact that there is so much that can be done to improve life after someone has had one. Help me spread the message by liking, commenting, rating, and subscribing to this podcast and share it with others who would benefit from hearing it. There are more resources available on my website. And again, if you or someone you love would benefit from concussion coaching, sign up for a free consultation using the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Thank you. See you next time and take good care of that amazing brain of yours.